I just did something completely original that's never been done before in this space by any other human because this week's episode of Music Club is Movie Club, Garden State. I'm impressed. Thank you. <laughs> I want you to know there were some hand motions that went with it because you really got to lean into that Natalie Oh, there were. Impression. There yeah. were. <laughs> so welcome to Music Club, guys. This is a podcast where we talk about music music playing people, and other music things. I'm Emily Tynan. And I'm Chad Hanyu. Uh, if you guys want, you can follow us on both Instagram and Twitter at Music Club Pod. And you can find the playlist for today's episode, well, soundtrack really, <laughs> for today's episode, and all future episodes on Spotify at Music Club Pod, which we will link in the show notes. We sure will. Uh, but before we do that, we like to start off the every episode with a little something we call the sampler platter. Uh, I'm going to ask Emily, well, I'm going to play a song for Emily, uh, an original song that was later sampled by, you know, a great rap, hip-hop, pop song from more current days. And she is going to have to guess not only the song, the original song, but also which song sampled it. I'm are you ready. Are you ready? Okay. Oh, yeah. don't know it <laughs> everyone should know that emily made me change the sample of platter because she thought the pick was gonna be too hard <laughs> she doesn't know this i one. mean i like it it's good huh is it the heartbeat in the background that's been sampled? no it's actually his vocal specifically that first part hit me with it chad okay so this Ooh. yeah 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 let's just let it play for a second so this is I Know I'm Losing You by Rare Earth. Okay. Um, this is actually a cover of The Temptations. Um, but this track by Rare Earth was recorded in 1970. Rare Earth is a white rock band from Detroit. And they were actually signed to Motown on one of their subsidiary labels. Um, they were like the first hit-making white band for Motown, okay. which is kind of like kind of a new thing for them. Right. Um, you have no idea who sampled the song, do you? I'm like really upset that I don't know, though. I think, like, pe my, I think my people brain might be. My like flipping through a file of facts right now, and it's like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> you, you have to tell me. Okay. This is the original. Do you want me to give it away right now, or do you want to listen to it first? Just let me listen to it. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Your love is fading. Your love is fading. Your love is fading. I feel it fade. When no one ain't around, I feel it fade. I think I think too much. I feel it fade. Guys, this is embarrassing. I'm not even like, oh, it's uh, so and so. You're gonna kick yourself. How good is that baseline? Okay, but the background is, it's a TikTok that's going around right now. It's like, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it, get it, get it. So this is Kanye. No. Yeah. This is uh, Fade by Kanye off of Life of Pablo from 2016. 
Yeah, kind of a kind of a big song, <laughs> kind of a big album. She has such a disappointed look on her face. She's so mad. Guys, at herself. I want you to just know that I know this is only our <laughs> second episode, but I promise I'm really good at this game. Normally, she is. No, she is. This is very embarrassing, and uh, I'm sorry I let you all down. <laughs> I think you are forgiven. <laughs> so, want to get into Garden State? Yeah, let's do it. Um, as I mentioned, this is a, a series of the pod that we're starting. We're calling Movie Club, uh, where we're going to kind of do a deep dive, if you will, into the films and iconic soundtracks that shaped us or like had a huge influence on pop culture. Um, and before we before we just take a dive into this episode, I want to be really extra and dramatic to like kind of mirror the certain someone whose film we're going to be discussing today. Uh, And I just wanted to share an excerpt from a book that I just finished reading. It's by Matt Haig, and it's called How to Stop Time. And I just thought it was really pretty, and it kind of captures the essence of music. Are you starting us off with some poetry? (laughs) Are you really doing that? (laughs) I mean, it's a quote from a book, but God, it just fits the melancholy mood of this movie so well. Can I just... Yeah, please. Hit me. It did nothing at first, but then somehow it got in. No, not got in. That's the wrong way of putting it. Music doesn't get in. Music already is in. Music simply uncovers what is there, makes you feel emotions that you didn't necessarily know you had inside, and runs around waking them all up. A rebirth of sorts. The very reason such music exists is because it is a language that couldn't be communicated in any other way. Beautiful. Isn't that nice? It's great. I just thought that was a great way to start us off. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's a little cheesy, but I like the cheese. All right, so without any further ado, get your Dixie Cups ready to collect your tears and let's dig into our first film cult classic, Garden State. This movie was acted, written, and directed by Senor Zach Braff, if you did not know that. And I wanted to kind of start this off asking you, Chad, can you tell me a little bit about what this movie and what the soundtrack meant to you? Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I actually wrote down, so Emily gave me notes to listen to, or homework, I should say, uh, to listen to the whole album, or soundtrack, and then watch the movie having done a deep protein listening of that soundtrack. And my first thing that I wrote down was opening thoughts. This soundtrack is perfect. Do you want to tell them what Still a protein today. listening is before we go? Any oh, further? yeah. So I sorry. think this is a term that needs to be known. World renowned. Yeah. So protein listening is when you do nothing but listen to the music, think about the music, take in the music, and you are doing nothing else. You are not cooking. You're not cleaning. You're not maybe even driving you're you're just sitting there and listening to the music and thinking about it yep um so yeah this movie was huge for me um i definitely have like connections with it to um you know girls i dated in high school who showed me the movie Mm. one in particular and just 
uh, really like uh, an awakening of the music I was going to listen to for the rest of my life. Right. Um, this was definitely one of the starting points of like me finding so much more music than I knew was out there and really changing my taste from what they were, say, in middle school. Right. Um, great fucking movie. Still. So fun. Honestly, so much more funny than I thought it would be. Like, funny. And then I remembered it being. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and. Yeah, I'm just excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that somebody showed you this film because mm-hmm. when I was doing my research, a lot of what kept popping up was that the film, of course, it did well in like the indie film festival, Sundance specifically, but most people really jumped on the bandwagon after it was released to DVD. So mm. you're not alone yeah. in that you were introduced to that movie by somebody who purchased it and like played it for you. Right. That was the norm. Totally. And if I think about it, I think I saw it in, I mean, it was still pretty close to after it came out, but it was on DVD, right? Right. I think it, it was like 2005 or something, you right. know? And this movie came out 2004? Yes, mm-hmm. it did. Good job, Chad. Oh, yeah. Very proud. Facts. <laughs> Google. <laughs> the Google machine, eh? Uh, so I'm just going to kind of set up the flow of this episode, just so you know. Wait, hold up. Yeah. What does it mean to you? Oh, oh, me? And how did you find it? Yeah. So for me, this movie really just like captures high school for me. Like the feelings I felt, the music I was into, it it just, it, it meant something to me. And it's funny that you say that you thought this film was funny because I remember at the time being such a pretentious little shit (laughs) and being like, this movie is serious and it is important and everyone should see it. And looking back, like now, of course, it's funny. Like, and and of course, there were funny moments in it, but it was more like poignant for me and, uh-huh. and important. Like, I remember yeah. thinking, like, this is important after yeah. I watched it. I could not agree more with you. Yeah, I was definitely a pretentious piece of shit as well. Yep, uh, or a little shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely like was like, this is cool, right? To like, but I yeah. it also like hit with me, right? Not only because of the music, but I just think some of the characters in it and wasn't going through any of that myself, but you know. (laughs) Sure. Well, and that's something that Zach Braff talks a lot about is Mm -hmm. he was trying to, and we were a little bit young for this to really hit with us, but he was trying to connect with the 20 something year olds um, who were, he thought going through this kind of similar phase in life. Did you think it was surprising that they are 26 watching it again? I did. Didn't I want to talk about that? Okay. All right. I want to talk about that. Yeah, my bad. No, no, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I think that's a really important fact is like, Mm -hmm. okay. So here's some fun facts, speaking of facts. Um, So in 1876, Abraham Browning of Camden gave New Jersey its nickname as Garden State. Uh, Zach Braff is actually from (laughs) New Jersey. Chad is is laughing at me because of how far back I went. I love it. (laughs) To start this episode. But Zach Braff is from New Jersey. He loves his hometown, and he really hates that a lot of people associate, you know, this movie with negative connotations. Hmm. Uh, or not this movie, I'm sorry. New Jersey with oh, negative connotations. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so he really wanted to break free of that, help New Jersey break free of that. So for that reason, he chose New Jersey as the primary shooting location. He didn't just do like a Hollywood set trying mm. to look like New Jersey. He filmed it on in New Jersey um, and he really wanted to showcase the the beauty of the state and and the the forests and everything 
Um, originally, this film was supposed to be called Large's Ark. No. <laughs> that's, that's just a no. It's a no for me, dog. Yeah. Uh, it basically got poo-pooed. No one really got it. Large's Ark? I know. Are you serious? Isn't that hilarious? So Dude. Large, for those of you who haven't seen Garden State, first of all, Please watch it. Honestly, yeah. I would recommend pausing this and watching it yeah. and coming back. Well, to it, us. Even yeah. if we lose you, it's worth a watch. It wouldn't mean anything. It, to them yeah, if you it won't seen mean this. anything to you unless you. Okay, see sorry. Movie. Can we go back to Large's arc? Yes. So Large is the main character in the film. That's his name. Largeman is his last name. <laughs> Just try harder. Largest arc. I'm oh, sorry. Go on. Go on. <laughs> and there's a scene at towards the end of the movie, kind of at its crescendo. I feel like. Uh, where they're down in a quarry and they're next to this ark. And he thought it was this like beautiful connection of like the main character and the ark and the quarry and the infinite abyss. And basically everyone was like, no. No, it's a no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Braff decided to go with Garden State, which we're all very glad that he did. Yeah, super solid. I can't even imagine sitting here and saying, let's talk about Large's Ark today. I honestly don't think it would have been successful. I agree with you. It's the same thing as naming a song. Like, I think it makes like, I don't know. Anyways, it's very interesting that that's where he wanted to go. Uh, This film is based loosely, very, very loosely on Zach Braff's real life experiences. Not the handicapped suicidal mother or like the whole hotel peep show porn thing or like the infinite void thing. But, you know, like the sad boy actor thing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but he always says it's loosely based on my personal experiences. Right. Was was he um, like heavily medicated or anything like that? So he has a great relationship with both of his parents and was not on narcotics when he wrote this film. Okay. So not at all. Literally. Okay, cool. Got it. Yep. Literally not at all. Cool. So he describes writing this film by saying, when I wrote Garden State, I was completely depressed, waiting tables, and lonesome as I have ever been in my life. The script was a way for me to articulate what I was feeling, alone, isolated, a dime a dozen, and homesick for a place that didn't even exist. Hi, hello, I am Emo Zach Braff. Yeah, which is just called Zach Braff. Yeah. (laughs) Sad boy, Zach Braffsky. Um... Obviously, this movie has some great cinematic moments. I still love the automatic sync scene in the airport. Like, I I just think that's like a really fun thing. Uh, The iconic matching shirt with a bathroom wallpaper. And I just want to say I low-key, high-key really want a shirt that matches my bathroom. There are so many iconic moments of that movie. I know. I know. That's like five seconds. And it's like so vivid in our minds. Right. It's literally like a a snapshot. Yeah, that's it. Like when I think of that movie, it's one of the things I think of. Uh, any scene with our characters on the motorbike and sidecar is mm-hmm. like imprinted in my brain. And of course, yelling into the void on top of a graffiti covered forklift. 100%. How could you not <laughs> think of that? Literally the cover of the film. So Chad, I have a question for you. Yeah. A, a bit of trivia, a guessing. How old do you think Zach Braff is when he writes, directs, and stars in Garden State? Is if you, he? If you want a clue, let me know. I can give you. Is he 26? No. He writes, directs, and stars and, in it? And stars did he, in it. Did he write it in the same year? Yeah. Really? When did Scrubs start? This is post-Scrubs. Really? And he yeah. was like waiting tables after Scrubs? I believe so. What the fuck? How is that possible? Um, all right, so maybe you're he was... Now you making me question myself. <laughs> <laughs> was he 30? 
He was 29. Ah, so close. What do you think about that? You kind of mentioned earlier, like, them seeming younger. They seem younger and older at the same time, right? Like, Natalie Portman's character obviously seems very young. Um, Like, this kind of innocence is a word that is thrown around by by large. Yes. Um, Says he likes her that way. Yeah. So she seems younger, but... I don't know, like, for some reason, like, Zach Braff and his friends, I don't know, I I guess it does kind of fit that they're, like, in their mid-20s. I guess just when I was watching it when I was younger, I was like, oh, these people are in their 30s. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I thought they were closer to my age. Huh. I thought that's where you were going with this earlier. No. Okay. And just so you know, Scrubs came but out that, in 2001, but that, so this was after yeah, yeah. Scrubs. But also, I guess that does make sense, right? Like, just, like, looking at the house parties, Yeah. The, those scenes, like, are definitely, like, Closer to high school. Right. Like, I thought that it was, like, right after high school because that guy who made Silent Velcro. <laughs> yeah, amazing. His friend. Um, you know, he had made his fortune and he bought this beautiful house. It was clearly, like, Largeman was in L.A. They talk about how they haven't seen him in eight years, but he was also in boarding school, so the timeline's a little off. Like, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. Too. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, it, there's a lot of, like... Oh, no, no, no. No, it does make sense. Because they say he leaves when he's 16. Oh, no, that's 10 years. No, but he also gets he gets put into boarding school after the instant where he pushes yeah. his mother, and he's eight or nine. No, I know. No, no, but they don't send him to boarding school till he's 16. Still the timeline's off. Interesting. Yes, still the timeline is off. So, um, but yeah, so he's 29 years old. Uh, this film's release date is July 28, 2004 debuted at Sundance Film Festival and uh, was received very well. Uh, The movie, this shocked me. The movie was shot in 25 days. Good for them. That's wild. That's amazing. That is a whirlwind. Well, that's an indie move for you. Yep. Uh, The movie has been compared to The Graduate, Harold and Maude, etc. When Mm. it came out, said to have defined a generation, which is interesting. I mean, Um, do you disagree with that? I just think it's so interesting that right when a movie comes out, it's deemed as defining a graduation, or I'm sorry, graduation, <laughs> a generation. <laughs> We're talking about the graduate. Um, but I feel like usually that kind of esteem and that kind of a title is given in retrospect, where something's had time to kind of like mature and, and stand the test of time. I think now looking back, I do still. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm partial because I have nostalgia. I would be interested to see if a younger person watching this who had never seen it before would feel the same way. That's that's a good point. But it will never... I don't know. Well, actually, I don't know. I was going to say it'll never mean the same thing or as much to them as it did to us, but that's probably not true. Yeah. And if it does mean the same thing to them as it does to us, then that is a, that's what we call a masterpiece, right? Yeah, you know, definitely. But, and I think that's kind of what says like... And I think they could say, like, oh, that defines this generation, but I still really appreciate this piece of art. Like, I watched The Graduate, uh-huh. and I loved it. Yeah. I thought the soundtrack was amazing. I thought the storyline was compelling. Yeah. A really sad movie. But that wasn't made for me. Right. Yeah. That was made for that, the, the plastics generation. Right, exactly. But, <laughs> no, I do, I do kind of agree with that assertion, that, like, yeah. it did define a generation, or, like, a portion of a generation. Yeah. This indie rock crowd that we were clearly you know me and emily were in yeah and on that note in 2014 john dolan of the rolling stone referred to garden state as the film that quote helped make hollywood safe for indie pop 
I don't even know what that means, but okay. <laughs> I think it's more like it introduced it on the scene. It it allowed for mm. it to be widely accepted and not more of like an underground genre. I don't think it was as commonplace as it is now or then. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I buy it. <laughs> I buy it. Uh, Braff accepted a Grammy Award in 2005 for Best Compilation Soundtrack Album for a Motion Picture, Television, or Other Visual Media. Um, Deserving. Deserving indeed. A podcast I was listening to while researching this. uh, It's called Track Listening. It's really fun. You should check it out um, if you're interested in soundtracks as a whole. They go through movie soundtracks and that's all they do. And they just talk about them track by track. Sweet. Um, but he kept referring to all of the artists on this album as Grammy adjacent. And I just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. What? <laughs> because Zach Braff won a Grammy oh, and he didn't fuck? make any music. So these artists are literally just they're Grammy adjacent to Zach Braff. Why do we use these terms? <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. It is. It's funny, right? It's also enraging. Of course. <laughs> um, uh Braff said of his uh, Grammy win, essentially, I made a mix CD with all of the music that I felt was scoring my life at the time I was writing this screenplay. So, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's, that was just the history of the film. I wanted to give a little bit of background before we dive into the soundtrack. Oh, baby. Are we ready? Give me the shins. We're going to take it track by track. Cool. Yeah. We're going to take it hit by hit. Mm. We're going to see what hits and what doesn't for us. Are we ready? All of it. Bones sinking like stones, all that we fall for. Homes, places we've grown, all of us are done for. That was Coldplay. Don't panic. Uh, this was off the album Parachutes. It was released in 2000 in the UK. Uh, and in the United States, this album peaked at number 51 on the Billboard 200 and has since been certified double platinum. It won a Grammy Award for Best Alternative Music Album in 2002 and has earned the band various accolades since its release. It's also very well known for Yellow and Trouble. Um, so this is this is pre time is their big one right or what what's it called so i'm so glad you mentioned that because i literally have a note here that says chad's uncle's favorite song was clocks (laughs) Clocks. (laughs) (laughs) so now you all know that chad's uncle's favorite song was clocks i had like vivid i have vivid memories of of like him like when we were over there, be like, "Oh, you guys gotta see this performance of this song," and that was like my intro to Coldplay. I'm like, and immediately I was like, "This is not good." So- but then I like listened to Coldplay after that, and I think it was this earlier stuff. It was stuff like Yellow, this song. So this was their like debut album in the U.S. Okay. Um, and it's it's what everyone like everyone knew. Yellow was like their first really big yeah. hit. Introduced them to to introduced us to them. Um. And it's interesting that you say that you think they suck because I'm no, curious I don't think they why suck. everybody hates on Coldplay. <laughs> I don't think they suck. I just, I think when, you know, a song goes, is so big. Yeah. You listen to it so many times, you're just like, F this thing. Right. And there's like a, I guess at that age, 
And because my uncle showed it to me, right. I was like, Ultimate not into this. Already doesn't have cool point, points. It's lost some cool. Um, yeah, so this song is played over the title sequence of the film. Um, I, I love the gas nozzle still in the car scene Amazing. That's, that's being played while, uh-huh. while Earth, this song is going on. Um, Chad, what do you think this song kind of does for what we're seeing on screen? Does it kind of set the tone for the movie? We're seeing all these pill bottles. Zach Braff is laying in bed. He closes his eyes again after hearing his mother died instead of showing any kind of emotion or reaction. Yeah. Well, I mean, even before this, right? Like on on the opening scene is like the plane scene, right? Right. Which, is that a dream? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I think that's believed to be a dream sequence. Okay. He does wake up to the telephone ringing. Okay, all right, um, all right. And that's his dad leaving the message saying, your mother has drowned. Right, okay. So for, for everyone who need, just needs a little refresher, it opens with a scene where this plane is going down. It's a, I guess it's a dream scene. Um, and Zach Braff is just like sitting there Calm, cool, and collected. A very sad, melancholic, you know, face on it. <laughs> he twists the thing down to get a little bit more air little on air. him. Um, and this, and this, like Indian song is playing. I think it is yeah. what it is. And it's like to me, I was like, all right, sets so the tone. Like, there's a communication error here. Right, because right? everyone else on the plane is panicking, crying, screaming, uh-huh. and he's just sitting there. And it's like. Either he speaks a foreign language to other people, or foreign, or people speak a foreign language to him. He does. He feels like he isn't understood. And That's then, how I took it. And then we see this scene with a white room mm-hmm. with no pictures on the wall, nothing. Iconic. He opens his medicine cabinet, lined with pill bottles. Mm-hmm. Again, showing no emotion, nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and this and, song is playing over it. Right, right after his dad gives him. Right. The news that is his mom. And then died. he shows up to work and he has right. a gas nozzle in the right. car. <laughs> yeah. And and this song is kind of perfect to me because it's it's mellow. I mean, in terms of setting up this movie, right? Because it's it's like this mellow Coldplay song. It's upbeat though. It's fast paced, but right. it's kind of sad. It's upbeat. Very and it's sad. like and he's going through traffic and stuff. And it's like it's almost like the world is moving around him. Mm-hmm. And he's stuck in place. I totally agree. Um, so I think like visually and in, you know, with the song choice, it really, I think it's pretty successful. Yeah. I want to give a special shout out. This was obviously not on the Grammy award winning soundtrack, but three times a lady. What a great, (laughs) what a great funeral scene. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Honestly, it makes me laugh every single time. Um, but our next song here is from one of my favorite bands, The Shins, called Caring is Creepy. I think I'll go home and mull this over Gonna crown it down my throat At long last it's crashed It's colossal mass is broken up Into bits In my notes, I've just written for my first bullet, this song is boners. (laughs) (laughs) I will never stop loving the shins. Um, They're an Albuquerque band. 
they moved to Portland once they got signed. Um, and this is off the album O Inverted World, which was released in 2001. An amazing album. I can't believe it was 2001. Okay, so look, we need to spend some time on this song and, yeah. and the shins. I'm glad because my next bullet is, Chad, how do you feel about the shins? <laughs> but And I'll let you know, but like what... When did you first hear the shins? So... One of my friends growing up, her name was Jean Sabga, and I hope you're listening right now. Uh, she burned me a CD, and I remember her handing it to me. Maybe someone else had burned it for her, like, and she was just passing on the baton, you know? And she handed it to me, and she was like, you will really, really like this. I need you to listen to it. Yeah. And I went home, and I went to my family computer, and I put my CD in. And you remember when you used to play CDs on the computer and that all those like crazy colored squiggles would come on the screen? <laughs> that's, that's the imagery I was working with. Yeah. Swirling I just, and... I was sitting there and I was... And it was Shoots Too Narrow. It wasn't this CD. It was Shoots mm, Too Narrow. The next one, right? That one's... Yeah. Um, and I was mesmerized by what I was hearing. I had never felt... Like, there was a music that identified me with my generation more. Like, I, I was yeah. so hyped. And I really credit The Shins for changing the trajectory of my musical tastes. Totally. I have a very <laughs> similar feeling about them. Yeah. Especially those two albums. Yeah. Um, I think I heard The Shins for the first time from a friend of mine in middle school mm -hmm. um, named Patrick. I forget his last name right now, but... He and I never really knew him as being someone who was like a cool kid into cool music. Like he was just like one of those guys, like kind of an just a normal dude, right? right? He wasn't like like in middle school, as Emily knows, like I was like a classic rock kid. I was wearing like tight girl jeans and like had long hair. I was trying to be Led Zeppelin. Like he wasn't totally. like that. He was just like a normal Huntington Beach guy. Yeah. And he was the one who showed me the shins. And I was like, first of all, I was like, what? And then I was also like, what is this music? Mm -hmm. I didn't know our generation made good things, right? Like the only good bands I'd heard from our generation was the ones that made it to MTV, right? The Strokes, yeah. you know, the one Modest Mouse song. You know, like seriously. <laughs> that one. You know, and, and yeah. the rest of the time I was Float so... On. <laughs> yeah, I was so focused on, on you know, classic rock and, and older music. And I had the same feeling like it opened a whole new world. Sure. And kind of was a preamble to like what I was going to go through my freshman year in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty amazing what this song does for the scene it's in. So we've just yeah. seen Largeman. He's gone through his mother's funeral, mm -hmm. goes into his dad's office, and they have this like moment where his dad's like, we need to talk. And he's like, nah, I don't really want to talk. And, and then his dad berates him. He does. But then he goes into the garage and he unveils this motorbike and sidecar. And he almost, almost smiles. Almost. It's so close. It's like a, the, the, the corners of his mouth just tilt up just and, so. And you just hear the whistling of the song yes. come in. You hear that like mystical whistle. Goosebumps. I feel like it gives it gives the scene a feeling of freedom and breaking loose. Like he's just spent the whole day tied down and he's feeling all of these. His whole life. Right. Exactly. Um, and he's literally escaping the house where his mother mm -hmm. actually committed suicide. And um, there's this feeling of euphoria with those first notes as he takes to the bike. And I think it's a really great, it's a great song for the moment that it's used in. Yeah. And I also feel that that song is like, you know, you, you said like, 
like the mystical like whistling or something to me it's almost like like this mysterious whistling coming from like the woods or something it's like ethereal ethereal for sure that's a great word for it um and i just think that like it's that song is so mysterious but like also it's about wonder and adventure and fun and escape right yeah into this other world yeah and that's what he's doing in the scene it's like again it's perfect perfect choice perfect perfection So the next song in the soundtrack in the film is In the Waiting Rhine by Zero Seven. So let's let's give it a listen. That was In the Waiting Line by Zero Seven. Uh, and just to kind of set up this scene, this is when Large decides to go to this big party that's being hosted by one of his high school friends who he hasn't seen in eight years. And he shows up to this mansion, ends up in like a tiny room with all of his friends taking drugs and getting drunk. <laughs> and and this, playing Spin the Bottle. And playing Spin the Bottle. And this song starts uh, right when he pops a pill of ecstasy and mm-hmm. looks at his friends and says, I guess I'll see you guys later, which is one of my favorite lines. I think that's so fucking badass. Um, Chad, do you think this is an interesting choice for a party scene? No, not considering Large's like headspace. Yeah. Um, I think Tell it's me perfect. about that. I love this song. I, yeah. From the minute I heard it, I have loved this song, and I've never known like what this type of music is. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. So I kind of like tried it. to look it up. Um, the word that kept coming to me is trip hop, oh. um, eh. which is like a term that I've yeah I'm like vaguely familiar it's with. It's also a more recent term, and the the song isn't recent, so I struggle with is that. It? Yeah, I don't know, but like this song is just so ethereal, so dreamy, mm-hmm. so moody, so freaking sexy. Like it is, and it really is. Yeah, and I just love to be in that soundscape. Yeah, I was it's like telling, being underwater. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's a perfect way to describe it. Right. But also, like, if you think about that, he's on drugs. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? Underwater, like he's way in over his head. Yeah, he's he's feeling overwhelmed. You see him; he keeps like grasping at his legs, like he's anxious. He's he's not really participating. Uh huh. It's the same thing that we've been talking about, right? Like he's in the scene, but he's removed from it. And things are just moving around yep. him, and like the cinematography is it's very like jumpy, like right. Everything people speed up, people slow down. You yeah. know, like perfect song and again the song rules it does i was telling chad for a long time i thought this song was written by fiona apple (laughs) and i don't know why it kind of gives me criminal vibes i think is is what another equally actually more sexy song oh that song is fucking fire fuck it is so good (laughs) but yeah that's that's just kind of where it puts you at and there's this whole like romantic connection with him and the girl that like kind of amplifies through this song a Mm -hmm. little bit um but it's purely sexual which they're making eyes for sure and they're also making out (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so this scene kind of i feel like is really iconic 
in a lot of ways, but I also think it, it really shows how large is greatly detached from his peers. I think it's like maybe the best totally. illustration in the movie mm-hmm. of how he can be somewhere and not be at all engaged or involved in what's going on. Yep. Yeah. Which ties into him saying that, you know, he's felt numb. So fucking numb. Numb, man. <laughs> um, I just had to talk for a second about the hilarious intro to Largest Friend uh, Mark and his home life where we see him oh wake up God. after the party and we have the night walking in, the fast food night. That shit is so funny <laughs> it's so good that whole scene is brilliant by the way it says balls on your face <laughs> <laughs> i mean how can you not laugh at that it's so good that's the kind of thing where i again like that stuff was funny when i, I first saw it in high school but like it's just so much more funny now i couldn't i couldn't believe how much i'd forgotten like about yeah. this movie and it, there's so much brilliant dry humor in it a oh, lot yeah. it, it really did remind me a lot of like wes anderson movies like the mm. royal tenenbaums like just the way that like these characters have these bits of dialogue and it's all very like just so dry yeah but it gets you it's so funny yeah um so the next song in the soundtrack is another shin song and this is new slang it's off the same album oh inverted world Wow. So uh, my first bullet for this one is boners, boners, boners. I, again, cannot understand, like, I cannot say enough how much I love The Shins. Um, this was the lead single released from this album. Again, this was O Inverted World 2001. Uh, on Rolling Stone's list of top 100 songs of the 2000s, this ranked 57th. Uh, Pitchfork ranked it 62nd on its top 500 tracks of the 2000s. Um, I, I want to know what's above it. Right? Don't you? I know. I, I should have div, like dived we'll, in. and Maybe we'll do that another episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that Zach picked... Zach, we're on a first name basis. <laughs> <laughs> but he picked two songs off the same album by the same artist, which I, I feel like for movie soundtracks doesn't typically happen. That's a good point. Um, but it's just that good, you guys. Yeah, exactly. It's that good. Um, so this song is our introduction into the one, the only, the Natalie Portman. Um, and this is also our introduction to a beautiful example of a MPDG. Do you know what that stands for, Chad? MPDG? Yeah. Uh, multiple personality <laughs> DG. Disorder. Oh, dang it. <laughs> a manic pixie dream oh. girl. Yep. She is literally introed by coming up to him and saying, Hey, listen to this song. It'll change your life. 
Um, for those of you who don't know, a manic pixie dream girl is defined by a type of female character depicted as a vivacious and appealingly quirky girl whose main purpose within the narrative is to inspire a greater appreciation for the life in a male protagonist. Hmm. Okay. Thoughts, Chad? Uh, yeah, think. so I I saw that. Have as you well. heard of this concept? Oh before? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's usually in in relationship in relation to. Uh, um, I'm blanking on her name right now. New girl. Oh, okay. What's her name? Uh, her name is Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> Zoe Deschanel. Yeah. Um, for sure, and I definitely like in my little research of this, um, it came up that like she was that um Sam this character was like the first. Pixie girl? So the term was first used after Kirsten Dunst's performance in Elizabethtown, which is a film with Orlando Bloom. Came out in 2005. Legolas? Legolas himself, the elf. Um, But she is pretty much like the first film instance, I think, that's been referenced to as a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. So tell me this. Do Mm. Do you consider that term to be positive derogatory neither do you like her character like do you think she's a pretty round full character so i remember when i was younger really really loving her character watching it as an adult under this lens i will say that like i was viewing it through this lens Mm -hmm. and this like new terminology that had been offered up to me this new definition of what she was Mm -hmm. i do feel like her character is only pushing Zach Braff towards understanding himself, finding himself, figuring out what his purpose is in life. And it's less at all about her. I mean, we barely know anything about her besides the fact that she has epilepsy and she's a compulsive liar. I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, okay. I think that's okay. I see. We. I feel like we see a lot about her life. And also, it seems like she hasn't, necessarily had a serious relationship before no and that she's being pushed in that way um i do we see her family we see there's that moment right where he's like you know she's innocent what what, you know at the end of the movie right like i I don't want to be dragging around to show her some you know nudie hotel and she's like i'm not that innocent right like she fights back and like Maybe she, you know, I, I just had the moment where I was like, all right, like, she's probably right. But he's, but it's, in that scene, it's about him being like, no, that's what I want you to be. And that might be a flaw in himself. But I do agree with you that, like, yeah, obviously this movie is about large. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, she is kind of. Uh, but she might be a little bit the. Um, yeah. The, the the motor that gets him yes. to his final destination. But. Yes. But I, do, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I think she is somewhat. Of a round character. Yeah. Um, and also, she's such a brilliant actress. Like, she's such a great actor, you know? Oh, I love her. And I One think she thing, does an amazing job. I, I totally agree. One thing I found really interesting about her in this movie, as well as some of the other cast, specifically Peter Sarsgaard and uh, Ian Holm, was when Zach Braff was writing this, he kept saying, like, I want someone like uh, Natalie Portman. I want somebody <laughs> like uh, Ian Holm. And he never thought in a million years that he could get these people. And actually the same thing with the music. He was like, I want something like this song, but he never thought he would be able to get it to be played in his film. 
So um, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. But the song itself, I feel like, is really whimsical, airy, um, adds to her kind of pixie-like status. Yeah. Um, it's folky, which is like like coming back in style. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's also a really funny thing that the song continues to play while he's getting his full body scan and he's just covered in all of these drunk sharpie doodles you oh know, yeah with hilarious penises, like hollywood asshole <laughs> written all over his stomach like it's pretty solid <laughs> it's another just like bit of frick pure humor right yeah totally um i also think it's interesting because right like the, this is the first time meeting sam and, um and hearing this song but it's like the way that she shares the music with him Right, putting the goes back to on how we and and still how everyone still shares music, right? right? It's like, so we started Music Club the podcast. Let me let me take it back here. We started Music Club the podcast based off of this thing we do with our friends, which we call Music Club, where we all get together and we all have been mis- listening to music like over the last week or couple weeks, and we want to share it with each other. And so someone puts on a song, and then it goes around in a circle, and then they put on a song that they've been listening to and loving and they dig and they want to share it with you. And there's that feeling of like excitement. Like I've been really digging this song. I wonder what my friends who I respect their musical taste or whatever will think of it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with her on her face in that scene when she puts the headphones on him and she's like biting her lips. She's like, I, I hope he feels the same way about this music. And I think that's really just like a beautiful little moment of like how music is shared. Definitely. Especially indie music. Like that's not on the radio. Right. For sure. Uh, No, I totally agree with that. And I think it's kind of a it's an interesting moment when she starts to share this song with him because he keeps saying he doesn't feel anything. And then the song comes on and is supposed to change his life. And you kind of see him like really listen to it for a second. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of plays off like, oh, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do want to take a moment to just stop here for for a second. So Zach, like I just said, Zach Braff's character doesn't feel anything. Do we feel like this kind of goes along with the sleepy soundtrack? Like every single song is kind of slow, a bit of a melancholy vibe mm-hmm. to it. Do we 100%. think that there's a connection there? Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Um, it's, I, it's, it's a beautifully curated soundtrack for the movie and what this character is going through. And it really sets the vibe and the mood, but it also is like... Because of that, it's also such a great like standalone soundtrack. Like you can yeah. listen to it as a playlist or album or whatever. Right, right. I just think I think it's really interesting that each song has that kind of sleepy, sleepy vibe yeah, to it. It's like this dreamy, yeah, sometimes it, mysterious or definitely, lost. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. So our next song that is up is by a Mr. Colin Hay, and it's called I Just Don't Think I'll Ever Get Over You. I drink good coffee every morning Comes from a place that's far away And when I'm done I feel like talking. All right. So, this was by Colin Hay, like I said. He's actually from the band Men at Work, mm-hmm. uh, which was a famous new wave pop rock 80s band. 
Um, and just like another fun fact is that Zach Braff actually used him on Scrubs as like the troubadour for yeah. some of the episodes. Oh yeah, no, I was a huge Scrubs fan. Oh, I, I was know, too. I, I didn't know, know, I know this about this. you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, this song is set to Sam's room. So like you just talked about, we meet her family. Mm-hmm. We're in her house. We're in her room. She picks up a record out of the mm-hmm. out of the pile. So again, sharing her music with him, and she puts this on, and we start to hear it in the background. Um, she plays this record before creating her completely original moment, which I uh, <laughs> recreated beautifully at the you beginning of this sure episode. Did. <laughs> uh, it's another view of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, you know. Um, and she, uh, can, this song kind of continues over when we're sitting with her and Zach at the funeral of her beloved hamster jelly. And we talk about Mm -hmm. Large's mom's death. Hmm. So that's kind of what, what's happening in the scene. Do you feel like the song is a good fit? So are we to take that this song is the one that she puts on like the vinyl? Well, we hear it in the background. That's pretty interesting. Don't you think that's an interesting contrast that she's like in this moment doing something original you know and it's like super play <laughs> it's like super playful uh uplifting moment right to get you out of your you know comfort zone and um she chooses this like super you know dep- not depressing but like melancholy sad gloomy song right but what that, does that say about her that like wiggle freak out moment that she has is in direct response to her freaking out about telling Large that they're not going to make out. She kind of gets in her own head. Mm. She freaks out. Oh, I still think it's interesting that she chose this song. It is if interesting. She did. To show but, him, but to show him tickle her blanket and her room. <laughs> like it, it's very, it's an interesting choice for her. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it definitely is a bit romantic. Yeah. So I can kind of see the vibe. Um, I mean, yeah, I think this song works probably more for the... Um, the funeral, the hamster funeral. Yes. But you made a face when we were playing the song. Uh, can you please explain <laughs> this face to the listeners? You know, it's just, it's not my favorite. I think it's fine. This is, so there's some of the songs on this album. Mm-hmm. I will say they're good for the movie. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're fine for the scene. Yeah. If I was listening to the soundtrack, which I did multiple times in preparation yeah. for this on my own, I want to skip this song. That's interesting. I I really like this song. Okay. Um, I agree with that. Like that. I uh, that assertion that like there are a couple songs on here that are like, uh, yeah, pass. But yeah. like it's good in the scene or whatever. Yeah. This is not one of them for me. Um, Did you own this CD? I'm just curious. The, the soundtrack? soundtrack? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, you know, we talked about this before. I was in my my Napster LimeWire phase. Oh sure, sure, sure. You know, so it was like I didn't really own a ton of CDs at that point. Yeah. Um. But no, breaking so breaking the law, breaking the yeah. law. <laughs> um, I definitely found Colin Hay through Scrubs. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I knew about him, and so and he's a very recognizable voice. And he was yes. yeah, Man at Work. Um, which w- down? What's this? The famous song? Uh, land down under. Yeah, everybody knows I it. Come from the land down under. Total '80s new wave synth pop, like yeah. crazy song. And he's like, on his own, he's like actually much more melancholy and gloomy, and plays acoustic guitar often. The song is got a really cool acoustic guitar, guitar tuning yeah and i've always been drawn to that stuff and i think that might be part of why i love it but like because of that it creates like this um ambiance like the his open tuning that he's using yeah definitely. Um, I, I don't know i just love it but yeah i get if you don't care too much about it so let's, let's move on <laughs> i think it's like i said i think it's nice for the scene 
so the next song in this in this soundtrack, this Grammy Award winning soundtrack, is called Blue Eyes, and it is by the Carey Brothers. Grammy adjacent. <laughs> I think that's all we need of that song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't have much to say about this one. They can't all be winners, you know. Um, but this is set in the Large and Sam bar scene. It's literally background music. Um, this song feels a little dated to me now. And I totally. think it's really interesting that a lot of the songs in this film, and I think why the soundtrack is so iconic with this film, is they move the scene forward they are and i like a moment that makes you feel something when that song comes in and it's really loud and big and in your face mm-hmm. and this scene it's literally just uses background music while they're having a discussion in a bar totally so i, I think zach even himself was like yeah you know we're just gonna <laughs> i bet he loved this song <laughs> we're gonna pipe this one I mean, in while we're drinking beer i mean it made i don't know why i gave him an accent <laughs> <laughs> it made the soundtrack I mean, it he must did. have liked it, it a lot. Did. He must have liked it. He, again, he said this was a mixtape of songs that yeah. he felt were impactful to his life. So It's certainly a sad boy song. Oh, it's for sure so, a sad yeah, boy makes song. Sense. You know, I just want to sing the song to you. Um, all right. So the next song <laughs> in this tract is Remy Zero, Fair. So what if you catch Want to see me tap dance? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's your manic pixie dream girl again. You want to see me tap dance? I'm quirky. You're like totally scared. Like if you want to leave, <laughs> if I would you want like, to totally leave, understand. like it's totally fine. Like I totally get it. It's totally fine. <laughs> um, again, this song is good for the scene. I think it's like a moment. They're by the fireplace. Yeah. It's all lit up. He's just told everybody in the room that he's thing. the reason why his mother's in a wheelchair. Right. Yeah. So it's this big moment for him that he's sharing this with these people. Yeah. These are people he's known since he was a kid. But hasn't seen in 10 years. Right. So, and, and obviously the, he didn't share it when it happened at the time. And he's known Sam for what, like a day? Uh, at this point, I think it's their third day knowing each other. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still, that's crazy. I mean, like, that's a big thing to... It's huge. He's he's, he's opening up as the movie goes on, right? Yeah, definitely. And that's a lot to do with not only seeing his old friends again, and, um, but obviously very much so Sam. Definitely Sam. But yeah, this song, I don't know if it adds really that much, but yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I would go ahead and say like no added value on this one. But cool, um, cool, 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 something cool. that I did think was interesting is he does use Remy Zero on his next film, The Last Kiss. And there is some like continuum there mm-hmm. where he uses these same artists, which I thought was kind of like interesting. But um, yeah, it's what the he's song into. was called Prophecy. I actually really loved it when I saw that movie. Which one? Last uh, Kiss? The, on The Last Kiss, the I've song by it. Remy Zero. Really? Is it good? 
You can be honest. You can just tell me how you feel. I, I don't know how I feel about You're it. In a safe I, space. I always really want to like it, uh-huh. and then I watch it, and I always feel disappointed. Oh. But I think it's kind of it's the it's the same thing. It's the same thing with his other film. With um, he has other films. Yes. Are you serious? I'm sorry. Garden State's the only one I've seen. Really? Yeah. That and Scrubs. Yeah. Okay. So Kate Hudson and him are in a film called Wish I Was Here. Nope. But it, it's very interesting. It. Both The Last Kiss and Wish I Was Here kind of follow this trajectory of mm-hmm. like, I don't know what I'm doing in my life and I'm trying to find purpose, but it's at different stages. So this was his 20s, then yeah. there's one in his 30s right. and then 40s, question mark. I think he's in his 40s in the Wish I Was Here. But well, it's that same thread, that common yeah. thread. Huh. Which I don't know how I feel but, about. Yeah, and maybe it doesn't feel as authentic genuine. anymore because he's a super duper big yeah. movie star. Yeah. And scrub star. Okay, guys, this next song means a lot to me, and I I hope you like it a lot. So here it is, Drake, Nick Drake, one of these things first. Oh my god. I could have been a sailor. Could have been a cook. A real life lover could have been in a book. I could have been a signboard. You guys, come on. I was lobbying Emily to play more of that song. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Is this the best song on the whole soundtrack? I can't even answer that question. There's so many good songs on this sound. You it know is. how I feel about I ranking. Know, I know. It's <laughs> I'm against yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I I uh it's it's either this or two other ones. But yeah. oh my god. I love this song so much. I wanted to ask you, Chad, had you heard of Nick Drake before this movie? I think this was my introduction. I think yeah. like all these bands. Yeah. Uh, the Shins, Fru Fru, Nick oh, Drake. Oh, really? Okay. I think this was my introduction to all of it. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I guess not the Shins because I did hear them in middle school, but I, you know. But like really getting to love them and know them. Yeah, yeah. I understand that, and I think also when you have a song that's associated with a memory, it has a different kind of feeling to it. God, this song is so good. I know. Nick Drake is amazing, and it's he is such a sad story, but I know. God, that's actually something that I think is interesting that Zach Braff chooses to insert this song into his soundtrack in a movie about somebody who has just learned that his mother committed suicide. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Nick Drake is believed to have committed suicide. He took a bunch of antidepressants and Mm -hmm. there was a note. It wasn't necessarily a suicide note, but he left a note behind Mm -hmm. that was like to somebody. um, And he was pretty sad guy. So kind of a similar character to large. Yeah. In a way. Definitely. I think it's, I think this song is so, God, this song is so beautiful for one, but. Yeah. Do you know what year this was released in? Um, so Nick Drake comes out in the ni- late 90, 1960s. So maybe early 70s, 70. I need a number, Chad. Yeah. Give me 1970. 1971. You were really <sighs> close. So August of 1971. Close. This is off the album Brighter Later. Spelled mm. with Y's mm-hmm. because, you know. Because he's like super British. Because like British things. Yeah. 
Um, and this song kind of sets the scene. This is the start of the adventure, right? Like he's met up with his friend Mark. They, they've started off on this journey together to yes. go find this gift, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't know what it is. He's just told him, hey, I have something for you, but we got to track it down. Yeah. Okay, so this song makes me feel like I'm being held. Do you feel that way? <laughs> I know. Do you feel that way, though? I, it makes me feel no, good. No, but I appreciate the okay. sentiment so behind this makes, it. This song makes, yeah, me it makes feel, me feel good. It makes me feel like safe. It makes me feel a little sad, though. Yes. There's definitely like that lingering sadness, like melancholy, like underneath. Yes. I will say that like this is actually one of Nick Drake's like more upbeat, happy sounding songs. Lol. I, yeah, but it is, right? But, I know, but it's just funny that this is an upbeat But this song. is the way that this if song... If you listen to the lyrics. <laughs> it makes... Okay, so it makes me feel safe and warm and like I'm in a good place. Like, and the thing I just kept picturing in my mind was like being in the backseat of a car, like a friend is driving. Mm-hmm. It's a warm, sunny, like spring day. Wow. No, just listen to this. I'm looking out of the window at the landscape and the trees passing by. I'm not caring about anything. I'm just kind of happy. I'm peaceful. I'm blissfully rafting across the river of a road. Someone else is steering. I'm just along for the ride. It's that tickling piano, you know? It's fucking tickling right there. I nailed it. You were listening to the song just then. But yeah, I do definitely think it has that element. And and the scene that we see them in is actually we're back in the motorbike. We've got Mark in the yeah. sidecar. We've got Sam on the back and they're just cruising. And it again, it is showing New Jersey as mm. a beautiful place. Yeah. We're, we're driving. We're under the trees. The sun's coming through. It's making everything feel green. Yeah, that's there, a great there's point. this like they're driving through communities. There's people playing basketball. You have all of these like happy things, you know, that are kind of happening. I think I think you're right about it, like, kind of being a turning point yeah. in the movie, right? Because, like, he's just bared his soul to We've his friends and Sam. We've started our quest. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going on this, yeah, quest. Yeah, it was a hero's quest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this kind of leads us from this moment of blissful happiness uh, into a moment of debauchery. So here is our next song on this soundtrack. This is... Lebanese Blonde is the name of the song, and this is Thievery Corporation. All right, guys, that was, again, Lebanese Blonde by Thievery Corporation. What do we think, Chad? Um, it's good. I, I like I I again, it's fine. Yeah, I only know this song because of the movie. Like I think it, right. it works. Um, this is for your guys's frame of reference. This is for the hotel. I'm gonna call it a porn scene with Method Man yeah. as a bellhop. Like, excuse me. Um, it's the people scene. Yeah. Method Man, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> is a hip-hop artist. He's best known as being a member of the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, and if you don't know who they are, I'm, I'm ashamed of you. So, it's actually uh, a perfect do your song. research. It's, yeah, true. <laughs> it's actually, now that I think about it, like such a perfect song to set up the scene, right? Like, yeah. they are going into this more seedy uh, underbelly of yeah. whatever part of New Jersey they're in and it it's still kind of like sexy but it's like subdued and like again like submerged under like some kind of water it's like or yeah. drugged right 
Yeah, um, a little bit. Okay. Um, Can I just say Method Man's line? Yeah, go ahead. Just is like, who just saw some titties? <laughs> Raise your hand if you just saw some titties. Thank you. So everybody just calm the fuck down. And it works. <laughs> it does. It does. And everybody calms the fuck down. Um, so, you know, we're in the middle of our quest right now to get this gift from Mark to Large. Um, and at the end of our quest, we have this song, which whoo, makes me feel feelings. This is The Only Living Boy in New York by the one, the only, the Simon, the Garfunkel. You guys. Okay. So this was released in January of 1970. It was off the album Bridge Over Troubled Water. Phenomenal. Phenomenal album. Like hit after. If you guys haven't given it a protein listen, I highly recommend doing it. It, It's just such a beautiful folk album. Even I was, I'm actually going to dispute that point. Cause like this to me is where like Paul Simon goes, I'm getting the hell out of here. I am Paul Simon, and I have Chad is flapping uh, his I'm wings. I'm flapping right my now. wings. Like, <laughs> there's actually so much different types of music yeah. on this record, and it, like Paul Simon is famously like pulls from a lot of different influences and makes a lot of different kind of music yes. from like you know Simon and Garfunkel, but all the way to like something like Graceland. Yes. Um, and I think that a lot of those songs uh, feel that way. Like Cecilia feels that way. Right. You know. Um, so I love this album. Yeah. Um. This is actually the group's final studio album together. Um, And kind of to Chad's point, I think this is an amazing like folk song Mm -hmm. off of an amazing folk album. But you're right. We have these like wild elements coming into. We have these like killer drums. We have this like crazy chorus that comes in with like singing. Yeah, with the bridge over trouble. It's like a no, no. I'm talking about this song. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, We have it's just it's just such a perfect song. I think it's the perfect song Mm -hmm. for the perfect scene. Yes. Um, and again, again, it happened again, and this is why it won a Grammy. Grammy adjacent. Grammy adjacent. But so. Basically what happens in this scene, Zach Braff has just left the final the final <laughs> place that they've had to travel to get this present. Um, mm. And it's the Ark that is sitting at the top of the abyss, which bringing it back to Large's Abyss. Um, and it, they've met with these people who are literally there just to defend this um, this natural phenomenon that's happening next to them to stop a mall from being built there. <laughs> and he talks to this guy who's there and he's literally guarding an infinite abyss. And in an arc. Um, large as arc. Large as arc. <laughs> and uh, he says to him, he says, you know, goodbye. And then he yells, good luck exploring the infinite abyss to this guy, Albert. And Albert looks back at large and he says, thanks, you too. Mm -hmm. 
And then we have this really cheesy scene where Zach Brack throws back his head yeah, and yeah. shakes his mane and then climbs up. We have this iconic scene, which is the cover of the movie. It's what a lot of people think about when they think about this movie, mm. where him and his three friends climb up on top of this graffiti covered forklift and they just start screaming into this quarry. And they're they're wearing trash bags. Trash bags and it's pouring ponchos. rain. And then Natalie Portman makes out with Zach Braff and yeah. their friend is just, just standing there, there <laughs> staring at them awkwardly. He literally is he staring well. at them. No, he takes it well, though. Uh, well, you know, uh. as well as one can take it. But um, I don't know. This 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 song is just so good to me. Yeah. I, I remember also hearing it. such a contrast to what's happening in the scene. Do you think so? Yeah, he's fucking screaming his head off into a... Quote yeah, unquote, infinite end, abyss. But at the end, we have these like ahs that like kind of come in yes. and they mirror that yelling. Like, I, I just yes, think it's, it's so, so perfect. But it's so mellow and like. It is, but it's sad. big. And we have like these know. big moments in the song that feel huge in this moment where Large is kind of finding his identity and he's yeah. feeling yeah, all yeah. of these feelings that he's claiming he hasn't felt since he was a little boy, since he's been on lithium. I just, I just find it, I, I think it, like, I cannot say enough that it's perfect. Yeah. No, um, I, I, uh, you're, you're making the case for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but, uh, our next song is by a little band called Iron and Wine, and it is the song Such Great Heights. I think it's a sign. Freckles in our eyes are mirror images And when we kiss they're perfectly aligned Okay, so not my favorite version of this song. Mm -hmm. um, this is actually a cover of a song that was originally released by a sub-pop band called The Postal Service. Sub-pop? Yeah, that's the genre that Wikipedia really? gives them. What do you define them as? Indie? Uh, yeah. Indie pop, I guess. I mean, you know, tomato, tomato. Sub pop? I've never even heard of that. All right. Well, here we are, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this song was originally recent, released in 2003 by the Postal Service. Yeah, I, I kind of guess I forgot that the Postal Service preceded this movie. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Shocked me. Yeah, and uh, this was not a cover that was done for the movie, mm. which I actually originally thought it was. Okay. Um, but Iron and Mine released this as like a single, um, you know, covering yeah. Postal Service in 2004. Mm. Um, and I was just curious, Chad, which version do you like best and which one do you think suits the scene best? I think those are two separate questions. Yep. And so they're very important. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. The Postal Service version of the song is perfection. Yeah. Um, like all the music that they made. I I actually think they're like underrated now for yeah, some, somehow or like maybe forgotten or something. Yeah. They were really big when we were young. Yeah. Um, at least that one album. And um, 
Is that the only album they ever did? I actually did? think that was the only album. And yeah. I remember like they called themselves the Postal Service because they communicated mm-hmm. all yeah. through like email. Like they didn't meet in person. So it was all like letters and email like so written back and forth to each other. For people who don't know the Postal Service, it's Ben Gibbard from, De- uh, from Death Cab from Death Cab. Thank you. And, and Jenny Lewis from Rilo Kylie. Was there anyone else involved? I don't believe so. Eh, whatever. We'll talk about it another time. But yeah. their music was like very electronic, but very like ethereal elements to it as well um i love their version but it's not like the right version for the scene i think the iron and white version is way better sam beams um you know smoky vocals is just better yeah Mm -hmm. so this scene is the two of them in the hot in not the hot tub (laughs) that would be a different scene entirely (laughs) in the bathtub where zach braff's mother killed herself Mm-hmm. Um, and they're talking to each other and, you know, large is opening up to Sam. Do we know that she killed herself? I mean, yeah. It's, it's just kind of It's implied. Assumed. Yeah. And I think at one point he says like, she wanted to die. Well, yeah, I know he says that, but okay. We're moving on. How many baths has she taken in her sure. life? You know what I mean? It's yeah. just kind of one of those things. I just where wanted it's to clear like, that up. Yeah. I guess that's me inferring something. So if you guys think something else, that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, but so they're hanging out in this tub where his mother died. And uh, he keeps talking about how he feels really safe with her. And he shares this whole story about mm. his mom because he's just gotten his gift finally from Mark, which is the necklace that his mother always used to wear. And he's talking about a memory that he associates with that. Uh, and then they start sucking face. <laughs> you always choose the right words (laughs) and uh it's really emotional they're they're you know in it to win it they go to they go to bed together fully clothed whoa hold up she catches some tears in the Dixie (gasps) cup oh my gosh how could i glaze over that yes so uh, there's a big thing where he says that he hasn't cried since he was a little boy and he hasn't felt anything since he was a little boy and when he's talking about the story about his mom with the necklace he starts to well up and mm-hmm. in full Manny Pixick dream girl <laughs> form, Natalie Portman runs and grabs a Dixie cup and literally catches his tears into it so that he can save them for later to remember this moment. It's such like perfect comic relief for that moment. Yeah. She keeps the cup in case he has any more <laughs> that are going to be coming out. Uh, but so this song transitions from them in the bathtub to them laying in bed. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're inferring that they had sex. They're really? fully clothed. They're just kind of laying together. Mm. But maybe. Um, and hmm. then Zach Braff is not sleeping. He has his eyes open. And the song kind of fades out as he walks into his father's room to have a confrontation with his dad. Another wonderful confrontation. Yes. <laughs> uh, which I think is a really important moment for the character. Oh, yeah. Um, and it kind of leaves you with some clarity. Mm-hmm. Next song on the soundtrack is Fru Fru's Let Go. Are you ready, Chad? I've never been more ready. I'm so excited. Me Here too. we go. Drink a baby down my window. Leave your things behind. Cause it's all going off without you. Excuse me. Tragedy, these mishaps 
Chad is so happy right now. Like your aura is glowing, Chad. I hope so. <laughs> so again, this is by Fru Fru. The song is Let Go. Um, Fru Fru is a two person act. I don't know if you guys have heard of Imogen Heap, but that's kind of her solo project. That's who you hear singing the vocals on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, she is famous for a, another song called Hide and Seek, which was very popular on the OC. Mm, this song's better. <laughs> I think this song is better too. Um, this was released in 2002 on the album called Details. Um, and this song is the last scene in the movie. It's Zach Braff and Natalie Portman in the airport. Um, it's, the cli- it's the climax. It's It's them saying goodbye to each other. You think it's them saying goodbye to each other. And... I do feel like this is really the defining moment of Natalie Portman's Manny Pixick dream girl existence because Zach Braff looks at her and says, you changed my life and I've only known you four days. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. if you need to sum it up in one sentence, I think that's it. Um, But, you know, he is talking to her about how he's going to go back to L.A., and then in a very dramatic fashion, he gets off the plane and runs back to her and tells her that the ellipses is dumb in their relationship because he talks about how their relationship's not ending. It's taking an ellipses, which, what, excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah, he's right. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I'll be on the pod. Just pour some <laughs> wine. It's fine. Uh, we don't drink during this podcast. We're professionals. I don't know what Chad's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the last line in this movie, while this song is beautifully playing over it, Mm -hmm. is Zach Braff looking at Natalie Portman and saying, so what do we do? And then they suck face again. (laughs) (laughs) This song is so magical. I agree. It's goosebumps every time. It's, it It's one of the songs on the soundtrack that most like sends me back to moments in my life um, as far back as the first time I heard the song, you know, Um, in high school, just driving around or being with someone or, you know, and it just makes me feel so amazing. Yeah. Um, It's a perfect ending song. It really is. Like for, for a climax for everything. And so this song is, how does this song make you feel? So I I think it's the perfect blend because we have this moment of just like utter sadness where we're like, oh, fuck, like he's leaving. Yeah, what a bummer. Like, why and, are you doing that, dude? And, and we're seeing him get on the plane where like he's going back to this sad life where he feels so lost and alone and he's leaving the one person that's made him feel fulfilled in this entire movie. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Natalie Portman sobbing hysterically in a telephone booth and he pulls her out. And the song up to this point is so like melancholy and sad. And then we hit this crescendo when he shows up and kisses her of like, there's hope, there's hope Mm. and there's joy and there's beauty. Totally. And this totally works with the, the, the way the song, um, is structured. Right. Yeah. And they actually lengthen, they like loop one part of the song. Yes. Yeah. So when the, they're the talking. first, right. So the first part of the song is like this, it's 
you know, like in, in EDM music where you're like waiting for the drop, <laughs> yeah. right? It's the same thing with this song, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're being held, you're in stasis. You're like, Definitely. there's this frenetic kind of stasis. I know those are two different words that don't go together, but like, that's what it is. Right. Yeah. And you're just waiting for it to get into the song yeah. and they just hold that out for so much longer, so much longer. And then he finally makes his decision. He comes back and the freaking song drops and you're just like, this is bliss. This is perfect. Right. And I think it's interesting that this whole soundtrack, like we talked about earlier, has had this feeling of like sad, melancholy. Um, all of these songs are kind of mirroring how Zach Braff feels. And then this it's final just, song mm-hmm. has this like big moment of lifting you up. And again, it's this mm-hmm. feeling of like hope that, okay, something positive is coming out of this. You're fucking taken off. You're taken off. You, it, you really are. You, this song are. makes me feel like I'm flying. Yeah. Yes. It's so euphoric. I also like that it starts with an airplane. The movie starts with an mm-hmm. airplane. It ends with an airplane. It's a nice There's bookend. like a beginning. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then we have our credits roll, and our last song on the Grammy winning soundtrack. Dude, just go out with Fru Fru, <laughs> but play it. <laughs> this is Winding Road by Bonnie Somerville. Feels like a flood in my head. In that road, keeps on calling. Okay, I I don't really again have much to say. This about song, this song, it gets the shit end of the stick, right? Yeah, you can't follow. A no, song and it's like also like okay, so Furfur's Let Go actually bleeds into the credits, so it's uh-huh. the second half of the credits. All right, so whatever. Let's talk more about Let Go. No. <laughs> we have to talk about this song a little bit. So this is played during the credits. Um, Bonnie Somerville is also an actress. Um, she doesn't do a lot with her singing career. This is pretty much all I could find on her. Um, I don't know why she named her song the same title as a very famous Sheryl Crow song, but like here we are. <laughs> Every day is oh, a winding point. road. <laughs> What are you doing here, kid? Dude, Cheryl. Um, Legend. (laughs) Dude, legend. Legend. Forever Cheryl. Um, But yeah, so thus concludes our our soundtrack of Garden State. And I want to end this with a question to you, Chad. Mm -hmm. If you had to pick one song that you feel really defines this album, like when you think of Garden State, you Mm -hmm. think of blank. Are you serious? No, I'm just curious. And then... You know, as a follow-up, so, there could be just not one. It could be there's so many. But okay, that defines the album or defines no, the movie? no, no. If you okay, so if you're sitting and you're talking with your friends about Garden State, what's okay. the first song that pops into your head, or is there one? Okay, so the first song that would pop into my head is one of the Shin songs for sure. When I think of Garden State, I think of the Shins. Um, is it New Slang? I think it's uh, the Caring other one. is creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's carrying is creepy. And do you think that that's the best song on the album, or no. do you just feel like that scene held something special for you, or is it just the song? I think, I think it's kind of a convergence of like the Shins being cool, right? Me loving the Shins on their own. Um, maybe it's just like being like one of the first songs on the album or the mo- in the movie, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's probably that. Um, but in terms of like my favorite song on the album, 
it's it's either Nick Drake or or Fru Fru for sure, hands down. Yeah, um, I love that zero seven song, but no, it's one of those two. I mean, the, yeah. I can't even pick. It's so hard. I know. There's I I I'm kind of the same where, and I've said this before to Chad a million times. I hate picking favorites. I'm gonna make you. I'm just. I, I have to make you sometimes. I know. So I know, and that's fine. Um, but if I'm thinking of the songs that I identify most yeah. with this movie, the when, one song. When I think of Garden State, I think of The Only Living Boy in New York, mm. by Simon and Garfunkel, mm. and Fru Fru's Let Go. Those okay. are the two songs that stand out for me the most. And what's what, what's your favorite? Or I don't believe in that. Okay, give me. I did two. Give me two. <laughs> I gave you two. Well, you okay? Well, which one's the one that you like? Like, if you're the, the like the first question where you're, like you're talking about the movie, oh, like okay. what's the one that pops in your head? It's probably Fru-Fru's Let Go. I just mm. feel like that song really stands out to me in a big way. I also think it was the song that mm. was played on the trailer, but like, please don't quote me on that. Oh. Um, I don't even know if I ever saw the trailer. I yeah. when I was doing my research, I found this was very interesting. Um, the trailer even won awards stop it i'm not kidding i didn't even know that this was a thing but there are award ceremonies for movie trailers and this (laughs) film won an award i was like wow (laughs) learning something new every day we're living and we're learning chad wow um but yeah i think that that song just really um like I said, it leaves you with such a euphoric feeling yeah. and it's such an iconic moment. And I think that's why The Only Living Boy in New York really mm-hmm. stands out to me too is because it's this moment of like deep feeling emotion and, and letting like go. powerfulness and letting go as Our Lady Fru Fru yeah, would yeah, say. Yeah. Our Lady Imogen Heat. Okay, if you had to pick one song to go on like a mixed CD or, gonna, or mix, you know, I guess playlist now that you would give to someone, what is the one song you would pick? That's so hard. I know. Just try. Do it. I mean, you got to go with the flow. I don't know what it, it's so dependent on the person you're making. No, I'm sorry, Chad. This is an unfair question. It depends on the vibe of the playlist you're making, what it's being used for, who you're making it for. This is wrong. It's all wrong to do this to someone. I tried. Oh, well, guys, thus concludes our, uh, our episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, again, if you guys want to follow us on Instagram or Twitter, you can follow us at Music Club Pod. Um, and you can find the soundtrack for today's episode and all other playlists for all other episodes on our Spotify at Music Club. Um, and I hope you guys had fun and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please tell a friend if you did. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I got. Yeah, I think we'll add like maybe some more songs to the uh, the Spotify playlist that we didn't talk about, like more Shin songs or something. Oh my god! Yeah, a little this more Nick guy. Drake. Yeah, this guy. Just for the listeners. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Bye guys. Thanks for clubbing. Music club. Music club. Music club.